Hey, this is Rodney Gage. I'm the pastor of Rethink Life Church in Orlando, Florida, and this is our podcast. Thank you so much for checking it out today. I hope it encourages and inspires you to live with a new perspective, make better choices, and have a greater impact with your life. Here's today's message. Well, good morning, Rethink Life. You guys doing good today? And you're expecting something good to happen in your life. Man, I'm, I'm excited. We just came off of a, an amazing service a few moments ago for our 930 service. And I uh, really just pray that today's message will be a, a word just for you, encourage and inspire you. And, and uh, today we're wrapping up a series that we began in this new calendar year of 2020 called Imagine 2020. And uh, I'm going to uh, just summarize everything here in just a few moments for those of you who may be joining with us for the first time and maybe aren't familiar with some of the uh, previous messages. But don't worry, I just want to real quick uh, shift gears and just say that uh, as you just heard a moment ago from my wife Michelle, uh, we're really excited about this next series called Relationship Restart. And I'm sure like anybody in any kind of a relationship, and it's not just specifically marriage relationships, we're just talking about relationships in general. And I know sometimes we think, man, if I could go back and redo some things, you know what I'm saying? Man, if I could go back and just, you know, push, you know, redo on whatever relationship, you know, it's important that sometimes we not just understand what maybe caused us to maybe uh, not, you know, end well or maybe not experience our full potential in a relationship. But here's the thing. God is a good God. He's a God of second chances. And so we're going to be talking about how to restart relationships. It's a new way of thinking when it comes to relationships. And so it's a great opportunity to invite some friends and uh, make sure that you are a part of that. And uh, just exciting. A lot of things going on uh, in the life of our church. And man, it's hard to believe we are knocking on the door of the end of January. I'm curious... How many of you set New Year resolutions at the beginning of this calendar year of 2020? Let me see your hands. You set New Year resolutions. You know, you were going to go all in, right? You were going to, you know, get in shape. You're going to, you know, establish some new hobbies. Maybe, you know, reset some priorities in your life. You were going to, you know, maybe put a focus here or a focus there on different things that you wanted to accomplish. And can I just do a little confession to you? You know, as your friend and pastor, I think it's important for you to realize that, you know, I'm not perfect. Michelle can validate that for you. Um, but here's the thing. Uh, you know, one of the things that I was really inspired to do at the beginning of the year, as a matter of fact, I even bought this brand new uh, planner slash journal. It's all jacked up about. I was sold. I watched this video that sold me on it. It was like, oh, man, I need that. And so I bought it. And so I was so excited. And so I had this, you know, this journal. And I've been hearing some podcasts. I listen to podcasts all the time. And so kind of a podcast junkie. And so I was listening to this podcast. And this guy was talking about how important it is that you, you try to capture each day. And you write down thoughts, things that you learned. Or maybe um, things that you experienced throughout that day that helps you grow. And so, man, I was so excited about this new journal. So I got my journal. been listening to the podcast. Today is January 26. And guess what? I haven't written a stinking thing in that journal yet. Can I get an amen? Anybody, can anybody feel me? You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's like, 
Some of you, you're wanting to read your Bible. You had not even opened it yet. You know, you, you know man, I'm going to pray. And, uh, man, you haven't prayed yet, except, Lord, help me. But, you know, it's, it's one of those things where sometimes you have the best of intentions. In fact, they say that some 200 million people make New Year resolutions every single year. What's crazy is that only, excuse me, a third of those, they, 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 they quit <laughs> after the, the first week. And then what's crazy is only 8% actually make good on those resolutions. And so I was actually, Michelle and I, we were, at, we were in our car the other night. And um, I had a friend who called me out of the blue. And uh, he said, hey, pastor. And I said, hey, what's up? And we were talking. And he goes, hey, well, and sometimes, you know, you never know, you know like where the conversation is going to go. Because you haven't know, talked to him in a while. And so he picks up the phone and calls me. Pastor, yeah, just man, just you know, just wanted, wanted to just wanted to check in with you. And oh, that's great, man. Tell me how things going, man. Pastor, I tell you what, this year has been amazing. I said, man, that's awesome. And so I had him on the speakerphone in my car, and so Michelle was listening to the conversation. He goes, yeah, man, I, man, we're going all in 2020. He said, man, my wife and I, we got involved in one of these life groups. And he said, man, I've been getting up. We've been praying together as a family. I've been praying with my kids before they go to bed at night. Man, I'm just, I'm just really excited. I'm just really believing God to do some great things. I hung up that phone. I was so encouraged. I told Michelle, I said, man, I don't get too many of those phone calls. You know, it's encouraging when you, when you know as we've been talking about, that God can do and God will do exceedingly and abundantly above more than we could think or even imagine, immeasurably more according to the power that is at work within us. Amen? So listen, don't, listen, don't quit. If you have already quit on your New Year resolutions, don't quit. Don't throw in the towel. We're just getting started. Amen? I'm going to fill up that journal by the grace of God by the end of this year with all the things that God has been showing me and teaching me. But I want to just pick up where we left off in this series as it relates to the story of Nehemiah. Because here's what I've come to realize. Just like the confession that I just made, and just like for some of you who've tried to make good, whether it's financial goals or, you know, maybe physical goals with your health or maybe something related to relationships or whatever your goal, whatever your intentions, whatever that resolution may have been, I do know this. That the moment you begin to pursue God and you begin to pursue whatever it is that God is leading you to do, the harder our spiritual enemy will work to stop you. Can you relate to that? It's just the way it is. And I think the reason why that's important for us to be reminded of is simply because we do have an enemy, the Bible says, that prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to take out. The Bible says in John 10.10 10, that, he, that he's come to steal, kill, and destroy. So he wants to destroy your hopes, your dreams, your goals, your aspirations. He wants you to give up. And he wants to do everything he can to defeat you and to discourage you along the way. And he will work even harder the closer you get to fulfilling whatever it is that God has led you to do. This is a story of Nehemiah. In fact, I'll just begin for those of you that may be visiting for the first time, and I'll give you a little Wikipedia version, okay? Because in 444 B.C., a guy by the name of Nehemiah, who happened to be a, a, um, uh, a, he was a Jew, but he was living in exile in a place called Persia. Uh, it was a thousand miles away from his homeland, a place called Jerusalem. So he pretty much lived in Persia as a slave most of his life. 
And yet his heart was in his homeland with his people there in Jerusalem. Well, unfortunately, the Babylonians had wiped out the temple. They had wiped out uh, pretty much most of, you know, the city. And, and, uh, and then they became the dominant in power. And then later down the road, uh, the Persians came in and wiped out uh, 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 the, the, the Romans that, that eventually had taken over. And then so now here's Persia. They had pretty much had dominated. They had taken all these people back to Persia and to, to, to live as slaves. But yet over the course of time, the king at the time, King Artaxerxes, began to release and to let go some of the Jewish slaves and to send them back home to their homeland there in Jerusalem. And so the goal there for the Jews as they returned back home was to try to rebuild the walls and rebuild the temple. They already had tried to rebuild the temple, but yet the, the walls were still down. For 140 years, the walls and the city gates were basically lying in ruins. So here is Nehemiah, the ordinary guy, was serving as a cupbearer to the king, which basically meant he tasted the wine, he ate the food to make sure everything was cool before the king were to drink the wine or to eat the food. In the event that if it was poison, it would be a guy like Nehemiah that would die, not the king. Tough job. So here, Nehemiah, ordinary guy, he gets an opportunity to hear from one of his brothers how things were going back home in his homeland. And his brother told him, things are not going well. The, the city gates are still lying in ruins. The walls have not been rebuilt. The people are exposed. They're discouraged. They, they have no sense of confidence and identity. And as a result of hearing the news, Nehemiah, the Bible says, he wept. In fact, he got down on his knees and began to pray. And, he, and God just spoke to his heart and gave him a vision. And the vision was to go back home, to go back to his homeland in Jerusalem, and to mobilize a remnant of people to rebuild the wall, which was ultimately something that nobody thought would ever, ever get done. So as a result, Nehemiah, because he has this vision, he feels this sense of urgency, he goes to the king, and to his surprise, because of God's favor and blessing on him, the king grants permission, not only for him to go back home, but the king even gives him the credentials and gives him the resources that gave him everything he needed to get started to help rebuild the wall. So here he is now coming back home. He mobilizes a remnant of people. They come up with a plan and they start working the plan and they start making progress. They start moving forward and they begin to pursue what it is that God was calling them to do. And as a result, like we learned last week, vision always attracts opposition. It's just the way it is. The bigger the vision, the bigger the opposition. So he kept working and he kept staying faithful and persistent on building the vision, rebuilding the walls. As a matter of fact, no matter what threats came against them, they, re, they listen, they just, they just re-strategized. And the Bible, we learned last week, that they literally would take a weapon in one hand and they would take a, a tool in the other hand and they worked day and night. The Bible says they worked with all their hearts. But yet the harder they worked and the closer they got to fulfilling the vision of rebuilding the wall, the harder the enemy fought against them. And so we want to pick up the story 
in the book of Nehemiah, chapter 6, and I'll have the verses on the screen, and you can open up with, uh, with me there in the book of Nehemiah, chapter 6. And let's look at verses 1 and 2, because let me remind you once again, the closer you get to doing what God is leading you to do, the harder your enemy will fight to stop you. And here's what Nehemiah encountered. In verses 1 and 2, when word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of the enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up at that time I had not set the doors in the gates, notice, Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. Let me just give you a little word of advice. Anytime you have somebody who does not like you, who's not for you, who's not with you, you know what I'm saying? Who invites you to get a cup of coffee at a coffee shop called Ono? <laughs> Let that serve as a little warning. It's like, oh no, I'm not going there. But yet in this moment, Nehemiah suddenly receives this invitation to go to the local Jerusalem Starbucks or Foxtail or whatever they have there. And they wanted to talk. And what's interesting, here's what the enemy will do. The closer you get to fulfilling the mission and the vision that God has placed in your heart, whether that's to grow your marriage, whether that's to put God first in your family whether that's to put God first in your finances, whether that's to put God first in your career, whether it's to become more outspoken, you know, with your friends regarding your faith on your school campus, fill in the blank, whatever it is that you feel like God is leading you to do. And the more you pursue that and the closer you get to accomplishing that, the harder your enemy will fight to stop you. And how does he work? The first thing he does, your enemy will try to distract you. And that's exactly what these guys were doing with Nehemiah. Because they saw the forward progress. They saw what he was accomplishing. And they saw how the people were working day and night with all their hearts. And they said, we got to do something because these Jews are going to rebuild the wall. These guys are accomplishing a great work and a great task. We got to do something to get them off point so that they will be distracted. We bought a new puppy. You know what her name is? Bougie. And she is bougie. I got a picture of her right here. There she is. She's too cute to spank, you know what I'm saying? She's too cute to put in time out. But she is spunky. And she's only like, I don't know, 11 weeks old, something like that. So Michelle was out the other day and left me at home alone with bougie so here me and bougie are at home and i'm like trying to lock in and focus because i had had a crazy busy week even been out of town and so uh, i needed just a big chunk of time just free of distractions to focus in on 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 the message for the weekend and everything everything else and and so i never forget uh bougie she's playing but because she's so low to the ground every time she sits it looks like she's going to the bathroom so when she sat down, I thought she was squatting to go to the bathroom. So I would get up, no, 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 no,
But this would go on and on. Then I'd hear her gnawing something. She was chewing on something. And she's getting the cable. She's chewing on the side of the furniture leg. I'm like, no, 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 no. And this went on for about 30 minutes. I was just chasing this dog everywhere. Put her outside. She would, she would scratch on the door. Put her in a little playpen. She would scratch on that and start crying. I called Michelle. I said, how much longer are you going to be? This dog driving me nuts. Why did we get a dog in the first place? You know what's crazy? It's that all the little distractions over time become major distractions in your life, right? You know what's crazy is that research shows that the average person on a daily basis, in fact, let me put it in perspective. How many of you got kids? Let's see your hand. You got kids? It's gonna blow your mind. Kids between 8 and 12 years of age, on average, spend 4 hours and 44 seconds on this thing right here called a cell phone. 4 hours and 44 seconds. How many of you got teenagers? Got teenagers at home? Listen to this. The average teen spends 7 hours and 22 seconds on their cell phone. That does not include time on a screen, okay, for homework or other things they got going. A day. Listen to this. Adults, okay? We spend an average of three hours and 15 minutes on our phones, but when you total up the total screen time, I'm talking about staring at a computer, you know, Facebook, you know, ordering off of Amazon Prime, or just doing a little work on the computer, 11 hours a day. You're talking about distractions. You're talking about things that suddenly will Pac-Man your time, and you think, where in the world did time go? How, how, how come I haven't gotten things accomplished? And the reason why is because you had the best of intentions, and trust me, on a spiritual level, the more you pursue God, and the more you try to put Him first and make Him the highest and most important priority of your life, the harder your enemy will stop, will try to fight you and stop you, from pursuing what God is leading you to do. I love what the Song of Solomon tells us in Psalms, uh, Song of Solomon 2.15. It's, it's kind of two lovers going back and forth here. And the, the female speaks up. She says, catch for us the foxes, the, the little foxes that run the vineyard, our vineyards that are in bloom. And what's crazy is that it's true. The, it's the little foxes that run the vineyard of your life. You know what I'm saying? It's the little distractions that run a marriage relationship. It's the little distractions that keep us from pursuing our priorities. It's the little things that will eventually destroy the work of God that he wants to accomplish in and through your life. You know, it's interesting. Michelle and I, we've been... Um, doing some traveling and, and doing different uh, television, radio, podcast shows for a book that we released called Family Shift. And we've been talking about the family, family relationships. And we've been talking a lot about distractions because it's one of the single greatest things that are unfortunately causing a lot of families to drift, a lot of marriages to drift. And so as we've been talking through a lot of these things, one of the things that you know, the, the interviewers keep asking us, is they're like, well, what's the secret? What's, how do you make that shift? How do, you, how do you get moving in the right direction? And, and our whole heart is this, just from our own personal experiences, you have to start with the end in mind. It's all about vision. It's all about defining where you want to go. It's all about the direction of your life. 
the direction of your marriage. So as you begin to set forth a vision, which basically speaks to the direction that you ultimately want to go in your relationship or in your family, here's the key. The vision not only speaks to the direction, but as you're thinking about the future and the vision of what could be and what should be, you're also asking yourself the question, okay, who do we want to become? Who do I want to become as a dad? Who do I want to become as a husband? Who do I want to be as a, as a wife or as a mom? Who do we want to become and where are we, we going? What is the direction of our lives and our family and our marriage? And here's the thing. When you set forth the vision of your life and you define the direction and the purpose and sense, in the sense of where you're going, your destiny, here's the thing. Vision helps you make the decision. Because when you have a clear vision, vision makes the decision. In other words, you don't wait until later and try to figure things out. No, you decide on the front end. We have a vision of what could be and should be. There is a destiny and a destination that we're striving to arrive. But trust me, the moment you begin moving forward in that direction to pursue God's good and pleasing and perfect will, the moment you begin striving to become who God has called you to be is the very moment Satan is going to do everything in his power to raise up his ugly head and try to put a stop to it. It's just the way it is. And that's the reason why I love the word priorities. In fact, I even have it hyphenated for you because I want you to understand something. When you have a vision, vision always makes the decision. And when you have a vision, it allows you to make the decision prior to the itties. Because it's the itties that stand in your way from the vision that God wants you to accomplish or to what you're pursuing in your life. So here's the thing. You have to know the vision because vision makes the decision and because you have a clear vision of where you're going and who you want to become prior to all of the decisions that you will be forced to make in your life because of that, Here's the thing. It allows you to restructure, rearrange, reprioritize, rethink a lot of things in your life. Many of you probably have seen this visual, this illustration. is very popular. But it's, I believe it's a, it's a great visual of Matthew 6.33 where Jesus said, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. In other words, you put God first, God will take care of the details. You put God first, in other words, you put the big rocks in first... All the little itties will figure out a way to, to make room. But here's the problem. The problem is, is we chase after the itties. You know what I'm saying? We go after all the things. And then we have good intentions. But then we try to fit the big rocks in last. And what happens is, is that when your calendar and all the things that you are involved in. And all your commitments and all the things that you say yes to go in first. And then the big rocks are trying to find a place in some space in the jar last, it doesn't work. But notice when you put the big rocks in first, when you put God first in your finances, when you, listen, when you commit to giving God the first day of your week, when you commit to giving God the first hour of your day, when you, when, listen, when you commit to giving God first place in your marriage, first place in your career, first place in your family, first place in every area of your life, when you define the vision which makes the decision 
prior to all of the itties, when you put the big rocks in first, notice what happens. The sand, the pebbles, they just figure out a way to come into place. Why? Because that's the way God designed us. When we put him first, God takes care of the rest. So therefore, here's the thing. you got to understand that no matter what you're pursuing, no matter what you're striving to accomplish, the enemy is going to rise up and come against you to stop you from accomplishing what God wants you to accomplish. So what I want to encourage you with is that when you put him first, he helps you say no to the good things so you can say yes to the best things. Because you can't say yes to everything. So what was Nehemiah's response? Nehemiah's response was this. I'm not coming down. In other words, these, <laughs> these, uh, these guys were trying to invite him to the little coffee shop over in Ono. And he says, thanks, but no thanks. And notice his response. He said these words. He said in Nehemiah 6, 2 and 3, But they were scheming to harm me, so I sent messengers to them with this, with this reply. I'm carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I, while I leave it and go down to you? Turn to your neighbor, look at him and say, I'm not going to stop. Listen, you're not going to stop pursuing whatever it is that God has called you to do in 2020. Amen? You're just not going to stop. You're not going to let all the little itties. You're not going to let, you know, all of the, the little distractions over here. You're not going to let them stand in your way. Why? Because you're going to put God first. You're going to stay focused on what God is calling you to do and what God is, God is calling you to be. Why? Because vision makes the decision. So the secret to concentration, you ready for this, is elimination. So at some point, you got to say no to the good and say yes to the best so you can keep moving forward in faith and keep running the race that God has called you to run. Is this helping anybody today? All right. Number two. Our guitar player is already playing. Man. So here's what the enemy will do. The enemy will try to, dis to distract you. But the next thing, the second thing, the last thing the enemy will do this will try to discredit you. You say, how does that happen? It's interesting how it happens. Most of the time, one of the ways that happens is by spreading rumors. You know, um, I know it sounds a little crazy, but, you know, the moment you start verbally talking about your faith, the moment you start telling people that you're putting God first in your life, your marriage, your, your career, your finances... The moment you step out in faith to pursue a dream, a goal that God's put in your heart, people won't understand. Sometimes it confuses them. Sometimes it exposes their own weaknesses or maybe their own fears or maybe their own doubts. And so a lot of times they'll try to tear you down. They'll try to weaken your faith. They'll try to say something to you to not just distract you, but ultimately discourage you because they'll try to discredit you. Have you ever maybe heard people say, yeah, you know, uh, 
You know, when you were talking about this, and when you said you were going to start doing that, you know, they were saying, you know, they were talking about the other day. You know, they were, they were, they, they, they. Have you ever stopped for a moment? Anytime you hear they, they were saying this, they were thinking this, they were doing that. Have you ever asked yourself the question, who are they? I have found most of the time you can put they inside of a telephone booth. For those of you who are old enough to know what a telephone booth is. It's a very small remnant of people that are your naysayers. And they represent the nay. And they will try to defeat you and to distract you and discredit you. But can I just encourage you... Don't allow the sway of they to get you off track. Don't listen. Don't go there. You stay focused on what God has called you to do. I won't go into detail about this, but I'll never forget when I shared a little bit about this last week about our land situation. We were uh, under contract with some land nearby and Man, it just like blew up after our public hearing and went public about our plans and what we were doing. But it got so out of control through social media. People were saying, yeah, Rethink Life Church, they're going to build a church bigger than Walmart. 120,000 square feet mega church on the corner. I'm like, where did they get that information? And it's just crazy how the enemy works to discredit, to confuse, to create doubt, to cause people to question. People will wonder about your motives. What's that? Who's that? Here's what Nehemiah did. Remember, the closer you get to accomplishing what God has called to accomplish, listen, the harder your enemy will try to stop you. And so Nehemiah 5 and 6 in, in chapter 6, it says this, and then the fifth time, notice these guys wouldn't give up on Nehemiah. The fifth time, Samballot sent his aid to me with the same message, and in his hand was an unsealed letter. Unsealed. Anytime important documents went from point A to point B, they were always sealed. In this case, it was unsealed. They were intentionally wanting other people to read what was unsealed in this document because it was a lie. It contained false information. And here's what the information was basically saying. It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says it is true that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king. Now this report will get back to the king, so come, let us confer together. <laughs> Nehemiah is like, these guys are a bunch of lunatics. And here's what I've come to realize. The enemy will do everything he can to distract you, to defeat you, to discourage you, and to even discredit you. But whatever you do, listen, do not invite the enemy to your table. Anytime you got they 
or anytime you got somebody inviting you to oh no, or anybody who's coming against you, who's not with you and for you, all you got to do is simply say, no weapon formed against me will prosper. If God is for me, who can be against me? I have got a work to do. I got a vision to fulfill. I'm moving forward. I'm not coming down for nothing or for nobody because there is a great work that God has called me to accomplish. And you know what happens a lot of times is that the enemy will even put temptations to even cause you to compromise. And that's what happened when the workers, the Bible says, at the halfway point, the, when the wall literally became at the halfway point. Because of all the rubble, they became defeated and discouraged. And they even gave way in their strength. And as a result, they even began to question themselves. They were second-guessing if they had what it took to even finish the project. And sometimes the enemy will come along and, man, you'll, you'll begin to believe the lie. Sometimes the enemy will come along and, and sometimes, you know, he'll whisper in your ear, you don't have what it takes, you're not good enough. And, man, th this is never going to work. And then sometimes if you're not careful, you begin to question yourself. You begin to doubt what God's called you to do. You begin to wonder if God can change your marriage, if God can get you out of debt, if God can open doors of opportunity, if God can heal a, a physical challenge in your life, or God can restore a broken relationship or friendship. You begin to question all these things to the point to where if you're not careful, you can allow there to be compromise. Don't quit on what God has called you to do and who God has called you to be. You keep running your race. You keep fighting the good fight of faith. And you keep pursuing the dream that God has called you to pursue. You keep pursuing the vision that God has placed in your heart. Why? Because vision makes the decision. Don't compromise. What did Nehemiah say? He said, I am not giving up. You see, in chapter 6 and verses 10 to 13, these guys were trying to discredit him. They were trying to spread false things about him. He said, but I'm not giving up. And in verse 11, he said, should a man like me run away? Or should someone like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. He said, I'm not going to stop building the wall until the work is finished. I'm not going to give up on the dream. I'm not going to give up on what God wants to accomplish in me and through me. I'm going to keep on keeping on and keep fighting the good fight of faith. You know, it's awesome. And I'll close with this. In Nehemiah chapter 6, verses 15 and 16, and I love it. So the wall was completed on the 25th day of Yule. In other words, in 52 days, in 52 days, they accomplished something without cranes, without heavy machinery like we know today. These people mobilized around a vision and accomplished something that they said was impossible to accomplish, but they did it in 52 days. When all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done, notice, with the help of our God. 
You know, we've been talking about Ephesians 3.20 at the outset of this series. And what is Ephesians 3.20? This is our theme verse for this calendar year of 2020. And it goes like this. Now to him who is able. God is able to do immeasurably more. Immeasurably more. God is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above, beyond anything we could think or imagine according to the power of God that is at work within us. God can do miracles. God can do what you could never accomplish on your own. And with God, all things are possible. So just because it's day 26 in January and you haven't started reading your Bible or you haven't started giving to the Lord or you haven't prioritized your life or you haven't maybe set forth your vision for your future, your marriage or your relationships, don't worry. Start today where you are and say, with God's help, I'm moving forward. And I know that I may not be where I want to be, but I'm thankful I'm not what I used to be. And I know i got a bright future. God has a hope, and he has a plan, and he has a purpose for my life. And you just keep pushing forward. Vision makes the decision. So I want to encourage you with those words today, and I hope this series has been an encouragement to you because the moment we step foot out in faith and we begin to pursue what God has called us to be and what God has called us to do, trust me, I've been doing this for a long time, your enemy will work extra hard to stop you from experiencing and becoming and really achieving everything. God has in store for your life. I want to ask you to join me in, in praying about something and then also want to encourage you to join me in faith about doing something today. Because, you know, one of the reasons why this series and this story of Nehemiah was so inspirational to me is because I was thinking to myself, man, here is a guy who traveled a thousand miles he mobilized a remnant of people to accomplish something that honestly was almost impossible, and yet they did it in 52 days. And I thought to myself, man, if they could accomplish something like that, with all the odds coming against them, all the challenges working against them, what could we accomplish as a church in 52 weeks if we just went all in? If we just went all, went all in? And so as we've been learning through this series and being inspired from a guy like Nehemiah, just an ordinary person that God used to do something extraordinary, I thought to myself, man, how could we accelerate the vision of our church? How could we accomplish something in a short amount of time, in 52 weeks, that we could look back on at the end of this calendar year and say, look what God did. Look what God accomplished. Look how far and how fast we went because everybody went all in. And that's been my prayer, that you'll go all in with God. You'll go all in, whether it's in your life group, go all in financially, go all in in your relationships. Just go all, all in spiritually so you can become all that God has created you to be. And we can do it better together. And so one of the things that we want to do, that we feel called to do, is to ultimately identify a piece of property. And ultimately, at the end of the day, we want to purchase property. And we want to not just identify a place, have a physical 
place that we can actually say that's where our future home is going to be and it's going to be a place that God will use to impact generations to come. It can be a sending place. It's going to be a, an opportunity to impact generations. But in order for that to happen, we have to have a piece of land, a piece of property. So as you know, we've been working towards that and praying for that. But I put in your seat a little brochure that looks just like this. And some of you may have gotten one. We passed them out on the very first week of this uh, month. And, you know, I've been just encouraging people to pray about it, ask the Lord what he would have you do. And, and the reason why we're doing this is because, once again, think of what could be accomplished in 52 weeks throughout this year if we all just went all in and did something. Just even if it's a small amount, with all of us doing something, big or small, all of us collectively doing something, we can accomplish a great task. And so one of the things that is important for you to understand is that for us, because of where we are, one of the fastest growing communities, not just in the state of Florida, but literally in the country, land is being bought up and developed, I mean, quicker than you can blink an eye. And even land that you think is available has already been accounted for. It's already been purchased. A lot of it is actually going through zoning and permitting and all these things. And that's why sometimes you drive by one day and the next day you see these bulldozers out there. And the reason why, they were probably just waiting for permits to be cleared. So all that said, one of the things that we really feel convicted that we need to do is we need to strengthen our cash position as a church. So we have over $200,000 in cash now that we've just set aside. And that's an amazing start. So many have invested and sowed and sacrificed and just gave generously above and beyond to get us to this point. But yet, in order for us to get, let's say, 10 acres of land, and if we were to have to be dependent upon financing to purchase the land, then we would have to put a minimum of 25% down. So therefore, we would still need an additional 400000 on top of the 200000 we already have just to get in the game, just to have serious conversations. So we have conversations all the time going on. I was speaking with a prominent landowner yesterday, excuse me, Friday, and um, won't go into details, but the bottom line is, is they have land that currently is under contract, but they are 100% convinced and confident that it's going to be denied by the county. And he said, in mid-February, if it gets shot down, which most likely it will be by the county, those 10 acres are going to come available. What's well, prime, prime real estate, and people are standing in line salivating over this location. The unfortunate thing is, is that we would never be able to compete with the deep pockets and the investors and, you know, those would-be buyers who have the capital who can go in and either pay cash or they can go in and strike quickly. So we just feel like it would be a good practice and good stewardship for us to be faithful and to keep moving forward in faith. And collectively, let's all just go all in and do what we can. And let's see what God does through this year so that we can keep strengthening ourselves financially as a church. So that when opportunity knocks, we can walk through the door and we can tell the landowner, here's what we're willing to pay. And if you agree to it, we'll close in 30 days because we're cash ready. And I believe we can do that. Amen? You believe that? I believe we can do it. As a matter of fact, I believe we can even pay cash for it. God can do exceedingly immeasurably more than we could think or even imagine if we just go all in and say, God, use what I'm willing to give. God, use what I can give to help make a difference. And so today I just want to encourage you to pray about 
what God would have you do. And um, in your seat there is this little brochure. You can take this home with you. But if, but if you will, I want to encourage you today to say, you know what, I'm willing to help. I'm willing to go all in. I'm willing to go above and beyond what I normally give. And here's a pledge that I'm willing to make and make good on by the end of this year. And so you can just fill this out and tear it off. There's a little perforation here. You can place an offering container here in a few moments, or you can go out and just give it. If you need more time, you can go out and give it um, to the folks there at the info bar. Or if you really just need more time, maybe this first time you're hearing about it and you just haven't had time to really pray through it and process it, I would encourage you to do that first. Just pray about it. Pray. Just, just follow whatever the Lord leads you to do. But then you can also go online and you can do the same thing online. And so let's just be faith-filled and expectant of what God can and will do. And I believe faster than we could ever imagine, God can take what we begin to put in, in motion and God can bring forth fruit and God can get us to a place to where we'll be able to strike when opportunity knocks and we can walk through that door for the glory of God. Amen? So I'm going to ask if we could just to bow our heads together in a word of prayer. Well, thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And if you like what you're hearing, it would mean a great deal to us if you would consider rating it and even sharing it with your friends. You can click on the share button, take a screenshot, and share it on your social stories. And be sure to tag us at Rethink Life Church. To learn more about our church, check out RethinkLife.com. Until next time, hey, we love you and believe the best is yet to come in your life.